This week, Walter Colas from Christ Community Church and TCSC alumni shares on day three at Spiritual Emphasis 2019. Thanks for tuning in this week. So uh, turning your Bibles, Isaiah 43, I love Teen Challenge. I, this is my home. Uh, God did an amazing work in my life here. And God gets all the glory. I, I don't even, honestly, I feel like I don't even deserve to be up here today. I, I just look back over the years of my life and all I did was follow in the footsteps that God laid out. I, I, it, it's God that, that works in us. When we talk about God making all things new, God can do that. My wife and I were separated uh, four years into our marriage because of my heroin addiction. Um, we live three hours away from here and she drove up every Sunday morning, every Sunday morning here at the castle to be in church with me. When we were driving up on the facility, we saw the lawn that we used to sit on and talk and, and love on one another as God was restoring our relationship. We saw that spot on the lawn. So this place is sacred ground. This place is, is God dwells here. God dwells in this place. Can you imagine? Jesus said that uh, prostitutes and tax collectors and sinners are entering the kingdom of God ahead of the self-righteous religious ones. And, 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 and we need to pray for the self-righteous religious ones. None of us deserve to be here, do we? Isaiah 43, and I know probably this thing's been preached all week long, but I always stick to the instructions that they give me. I, I don't go out of the confines of the text. I try and stay with the theme because I respect the leadership of Teen Challenge so much because I know they hear from God. And so if they want you to hear Isaiah 43, verses 17 and 18, I would keep looking at that passage even when you get home to your home facilities. Amen? Remember not the former things, nor consider the things of old. Behold, I'm doing a new thing. Now it springs forth. Do you not perceive it? I will make a way in the wilderness and rivers in the desert. And Lord, just, there's a job here tonight, and I cannot do it. It's got to be you, Lord. Just driving on the facility with my wife today. Lord, please visit us tonight. In Jesus' name. Although I've never preached this passage of scripture before, I was excited when I saw it, when I've got it, when I got it in an email. My wife and I planted Christ Community Church in 1998. January of 1998 was our first service. On Easter Sunday, 2010, after moving into another facility that was much larger, we, uh, after the third service of that Easter Sunday, a 7.2 earthquake hit the area that we lived in. 
we had found ourselves in a position where the city of El Centro condemned the building. Not yet. <laughs> I tried to tell the building inspector there is no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus, but he still condemned the building. You know, in God's providence, in God's providence, three months before that, we had a staff meeting where the staff that God had laid on the heart of the staff that the Sunday after Easter, we would have a church in the park. So we had reserved the park to meet in, in there for, for the Sunday service, the Sunday following Easter, and uh, not knowing what was ahead of us. And on Easter Sunday, of course, the earthquake hits, the, the walls had cracked. It was a beautiful building. It was an old Presbyterian church. In fact, this will probably grab your heart. My wife and I was married there in that facility in 1987, uh, and I didn't know Christ. I'd been up for two days on cocaine and slamming scotch and sodas, having the limo driver drive around the block so I can get up the nerve to go in there and say, I do. And in, in the, the destruction of the building, we did not have to call people. We did not have to notify people. We didn't have to have, find a place to meet on that first Sunday because in God's providence, he had laid on our heart that we would meet in the park there. And so everybody was already geared as it had been advertised for a month before. And then all of a sudden that morning, before I got ready to go to the park and preach, uh, an email came in from Israel, a couple that we support, a couple that shares uh, the love of Jesus with Jews on the land. In fact, they're Jewish themselves, and they felt a real burden. They got saved in New York City, went back there, and they continue to share the love of Christ on the land in Israel. They're a spirit-filled couple. They hear from God quite often. An email came in that morning before I went to uh, the park to preach, and uh, they had caught wind that the earthquake had hit us, and uh, they gave a scripture. And the scripture they gave was Isaiah 43, verses 17 and 8, or 18 and 19. They sent that scripture, and I went and I shared that with the church that Sunday. They were there in the park. I, I shared. I said, look, this just came in from Israel. I read the scripture. In 1996, and by the way, at that time, we needed to hear a word from the Lord because we were re still reeling from what took place. We were really the only church that got torn down that, that during that time period. We were the only ones damaged beyond repair. So we needed to hear a word from the Lord at that time. But in 1996, there was a young man who was addicted to methamphetamine. He was arrested on drug charges, and uh, he was wanted to go to prison. And his PO said, now I realize there's a story in a story, so you guys that have ADD, just hang with me for a moment. <laughs> but he's getting ready to face the judge, and as he's getting ready to face the judge in the holding tank, he ended up, um, the PO comes to us and says, look, this guy does not need to go to prison. He needs to go into the program. I've shared your program. I've shared new creations with him, and he's still refusing to go. He'd rather go to prison than do, do his little two years than to, to go into your program. So would you please talk to him? So uh, me and Frank Sesueta went back in the holding cell. We talked to him before we went to face the judge. He goes, uh, we convinced him he needed to come into the program. He ends up 
coming into the program. He says, yes, and we're telling him, look, you need the Lord. You don't need to do time. You don't need that kind of rehab. You need Jesus in your life. He saw the vision. We shared our testimony. He gets up before the judge, and he said, Your Honor, I want to go into new creations. So he goes into new creations, and he ends up graduating the program. And when he got through with the program, he ended up getting married. He's got two children. He got a job with a construction company, and he worked his way up to be foreman. And then in 2003, he started his own construction company, and he started building buildings. He'd built two churches before that. And so when the earthquake hit in 2010, it was his construction company that rebuilt our church. You see, we had two situations going on here in this passage in the way Isaiah applied to us personally because you had two things that were devastated. You had one building that was devastated, a church building, and you had a man who was devastated from drugs and alcohol, and uh, Jesus rebuilt them both. Because we have a master builder. We have a God that can make all things new. I don't know if that's clicked in your mind and your heart yet, but we have a God that can make all things new. And so God's in the construction business. The apostle Paul said in 1 Corinthians 3.11, for no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. God makes all things new. Listen to me, Teen Challenge students. I don't care where you've been. I don't care what you've done. You're here tonight, and God can rebuild your life no matter how devastated it is. You need to see that, and you need to catch it. Now, in looking at the passage this evening, I boiled it down to two simple points. I don't know what the other points were preached before, but I boiled it down to two simple uh, points. My um, mentor said, whenever you preach to people, especially when they're just coming off drugs and they're a little foggy maybe in the mind, keep it simple. And so I boiled it down to two points, and one, one is get rid of the baggage in your life, and the other one is to grab a hold of the vision that God has for your life. Now, some of us come into Teen Challenge, do we not? We come in with maybe a little coach purse. Some of us come in with a little man bag. Others come in with a backpack on, right? And, and then others need a bellboy to take all the luggage and baggage into the program with them. But the point is, we come in with baggage, do we not? That's what the world calls it. The world calls it baggage, and God expects us to unpack our suitcases. He says in verse 18, remember not the former things, nor consider the things of old. See, he does that before he gets into the new because he understands humanity, and he understands you and I like to hang on to the past. All of us have something we come in here with. Some of you have more baggage than others, and I don't downplay that. I don't mean to, to sound incompassionate when I say get rid of the baggage in your life. Some of you have been abused. Some of you have abused others. My wife, who's here tonight, I'm ashamed of the abuse that I, I inflicted upon her. I never got physical with her, but the verbal and psychological abuse that she endured through my drug addiction was horrendous. 
And for three months into Teen Challenge, I still found it certain nights crying myself to sleep from the things I told that woman that, that never did drugs or alcohol in her life. She was married into a, she, she was raised in a Christian family. She was raised in a family that went to church twice a week, three times a week, Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night. She was raised in a youth group, pure. And then Mary's a knucklehead like me. And I, I, I thought about those things. When you get saved and you start to think about what you did to the innocent people, when you start to think about the actions and the words that you said in the past, they can be a horrendous thing. And they were for me for three months into Teen Challenge. I found myself, I didn't even feel worthy. There were times I said, God, how can you save me? God, how can this be? And, and the counselor would tell me, you need to lean on the truth of God's word. doesn't matter how you feel. It matters what God says. And that's why his word is so important, you guys. This is the most important thing in your life. And some of you complain about memory verses. How many of you remember your dope dealer's phone number? Yeah, you remember addresses, you remember all that nonsense, but I don't want to do a memory verse. You need to start to thank them for giving you memory verses. That's God's word that's hidden in your heart. So you can't let these former things, of, these things of old to dictate who you are and determine where you go. You can't allow those things to, to dig. That's not you anymore. I had to work through it. You have to work through it. We have to work through those things. But, but see, when we lean on God's word, God tells us that, that, that we're, we're, we're set free, right? That's what he did with the people in Egypt. There they are. They're in slavery. Bondage to Egypt, and, and God delivers them miraculously, and he brings them to Mount Sinai. And most people, when they hear Mount Sinai, the first thing that comes to their mind is the Ten Commandments. Oh, that's where God gave the Ten Commandments. But it was God's first words through his servant Moses to those people. And he says to them, you will be a treasured people among all peoples, and you will be a kingdom of priests. Why did he tell them that? 400 years of slavery will do that in Egypt. They, you, you begin to think about yourself differently. You begin to, when you're oppressed, when the enemies oppressed you, when the devil's beaten up on you and you start to buy into his lies, this is who you are. This is who you're going to be. And I worked through that, through teen child, but I did not want it to dictate who I was. I did not want it to determine where I was going to go with God. Because God said, you're not that person anymore. You're, you're not a slave to sin anymore, Romans chapter 6. He says, you're a child of God. Do you understand that? That you're not, you're not pimps anymore, you're priests. You're not prostitutes anymore, you're priestesses. These are the things that God declares over his people. And so he says, remember those things no more. Forget about them. 
If God forgets about them, if He casts them in the deepest sea, and I like what Corey Tinboom says, you know, the Bible says that He casts our sins in the deepest seas and He remembers them no more, and then He puts up a sign and says, No fishing here. You have to begin there. You're not the old you. And when you do that, you limit the power of God in your life. You begin to think, see things through a distorted lens when you should be seeing it through the lens of God. And so it's not merely a matter of, 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 of getting rid of the baggage in your life. But you have to grab a hold of the vision that God has for you. That's why he says that. He says, behold. He begins that verse with behold. Behold means like check it out. <laughs> yeah, you, you remember when they used to give us dope? And you would tell your dealer, you sure this stuff is good? He'd say, check it out. And what do you do? You examine it, you taste it, and even though it tastes like baking soda, you still buy it anyway. Why do you check it out? You know, when I did heroin in the Bay Area, you know what they cut the heroin with in the Bay Area? And some of you, if you've been up there before, in my day when I was on drugs, they cut the heroin with kiwi shoe polish. That hard stuff. Say, are you sure this stuff's good? Check it out. And you... God says, check this out. Check this out. He he places that behold there for a reason. He wants you not to focus on the past. He, he, He wants the attention to draw on what he's doing new. That's why he leaves that word there. Whenever you see behold, what's 2 Corinthians 5.17 say? No, no, he doesn't say the old things have passed. Yeah, he does. Go ahead. (laughs) And then what? Behold, all things are new. First verse we memorize. First verse we memorize. Therefore, if any man is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old things have passed away. Behold! Check it out. All things become new. That's what he's saying to you, man. That, that's what you have to buy into. It doesn't, you know, and the devil, doesn't he like to mess with your past? I saw a thing on Facebook. He said, you know, when the devil calls up, let it go to voicemail because it's the same old message. He wants you to think about the past. He wants you to think because he's trying to get you to buy into you that that's your identity. But that's not what the scriptures say. Imagine the Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul, man, he was a terrorist to the early church, and, and he had the green light to, to, to take out the, the, the church. He was hauling men and women off to prison. He had the, 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 the authentic letters from the leadership, and he's on his way to Damascus to persecute the church, and then Jesus shows up, and he gets saved. You don't think that guy had some baggage? Man, persecuting the very church. He thought he was, he was doing God's will when he was persecuting the church. He gets saved and his eyes are open. He goes, oh, 
What was I doing? And so in Philippians 3, he says, Not that I have already obtained all this, nor have already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that which Christ Jesus took hold of me. And he goes on to say, if I've got my notes here, Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, one thing, one, one thing's important in Scripture. It shows up three times in the New Testament. One thing Mary has chosen. She's chosen the better. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. He's called you to heavenward. Your past ain't got nothing to do with heaven. And when, when, God, when God gives vision, when God gives vision, it comes about suddenly. Okay? It comes about suddenly. It, that's why he says spring forth. That, that word spring forth is used in, in the Old Testament. It's used of, of, when, of when trees uh, grow or when, when a plant springs up, like in Genesis 2, you see it, that, that nothing sprung forth yet, and then it springs forth. Uh, you see that, but in Isaiah, the book of Isaiah, he uses it metaphorically of the new things that God is doing. Now watch this. You need to follow me on this because this opened up my eyes to a lot of stuff. Watch this. Turn back one chapter to Isaiah 43 four, or 42. 42. Watch this in verse 9. The first time this word shows up in Isaiah it is an amazing word. In the Hebrew, it's tisme. And, and watch this. Verse 9, what does it say? Ah, the former things have come to pass and new things I now declare. Watch this. Before they spring forth, I tell you of them. I should close in prayer right now and let God work you over on that one. God actually declares them before they come. That's what vision is, right? God, God gives something on the heart, and, and you've got to let that crystallize. You've got to pursue that in faith. You know, when we planted the church in 1998, you know how that happened? I was driving down uh, a street in El Centro. It's Orange Avenue. I'm driving down the street, and I hit the intersection of Fifth and Orange, and check this out. Man, I'm just going to preach to you guys. Man, so I'm driving down Orange Avenue. And man, check it out. So, so hey, we're driving down Orange Avenue. I'm driving down in the Lord. I hit the corner and I look to the left and there's an old abandoned Catholic church. And the Lord said, "Pull over." And you know, you struggle with that sometimes. Is that the flesh talking? Is that God talking? Is what what's up with that? And I was going to keep driving, but the pull was so hard that halfway through the intersection, I turned around. God didn't grab the steering wheel, but it was this close to him grabbing it because the tug of my heart was so... I pull into the parking lot. The parking lot was dilapidated. I get out, and as I stepped out of the car next to my left foot was a syringe. I happened to look down and see it. And I picked up the syringe. 
And God said, there's going to be a church here. Now, I've got staff with new creations that can verify that. I went back, and I got the staff of new creations. I said, you guys, I think God wants us to have a church. So we drove back. We laid hands on the building, and four months later, there was our first church service. He declared it, and then he brought it forth. See, but do you have that kind of faith? Do you have that kind of faith? He, you see, that's what it takes. It takes that kind of faith that, that we need, when he declared, why does he do that? Why does he declare it and then bring it forth? Because he wants you to know he's always true to his word. Everyone else in the world has lied to you. You've lied to people. Some of you are lying to interns right now, and you need to get right. God doesn't lie. He is always true to his word. He's always true to his word. He never, ever, ever lies. Now, you can miss the vision that God has for you. You can miss the vision that God has for you. Look at the, uh, chapter 43 again. Behold, I'm doing a new thing. Now it springs forth, comes on suddenly. It's as if you're watering the seed there. You know, your little kids do that little project. They put a little seed with soil with a glass, you know, jar, and they, they start watering it, and nothing happens. You know, a few days go by, then all of a sudden, boom, green comes forth. But he says, do you not perceive it? That's a rhetorical question that's asked that leads me to believe that some can miss the vision of God and what he has for you in your life. Do you not perceive it? Prayer is so important in Teen Challenge. You need to take that serious. Listen to me. You will never discover the heart of God unless you're grabbing the throne of God. You will never, ever, 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 ever see any vision from God unless you begin to pray and unless you begin to seek God's face. God wants young men and women like you to come and seek him in prayer because the religious folks aren't going to do it, but prostitutes and drug addicts and all of those people, they will do it. Try and find worship services like this in the church in America. I told my staff I always love coming up here because I get to be among 600 drug addicts that have just been set free, and they know how to praise the Lord. But there is three things that can kill the vision. When I thought about that and I thought, you know what, on my own struggles through Teen Challenge and what I was wrestling with with God and what he wanted to do in my life, there were three things that, that really can, can mess up the perception of God's vision and grabbing the vision because I've seen this happen in a lot of guys. They're all D words and none of them are cuss words, but they're all D words. One is distractions. It, some of you never see the vision God has because you're distracted with everything out in the world. Do you realize you're in a sanctuary here? How many people get to go into a place for a year of their life and, and seek God? There were people that, that would complain. I'd say, man, pack your bags. 
I destroyed my marriage, and God's putting it back together. I destroyed everything in my life, and God's rebuilding my life. I love this place. And you court-ordered people need to get through the doing time bit. You're not doing time. God has called you to a life sentence. So distractions, what are you thinking of out there? What's, what's got your heart that God ain't got your heart right now? The other D word, devil. Devil's always going to tell Man, I heard people come to me through the years and say, God told me I need to leave now and go home to my wife. I would say, God didn't tell you that. Satan told you that. Your wife's at peace right now. <laughs> the first peace she had in all those years. And you want to go home and destroy it. So my wife is here tonight. Listen to me. We had a deal because I was living in Northern California and I was strung out on heroin up there. So she found out about Teen Challenge up there and she said, look, Teen Challenge has a 10-month program. We were separated at the time she came. I ended up in the emergency room on one situation, and I'm blessed just to be alive today because of all that stuff. I was speedballing towards the end because when my wife walked out, I had nothing left. But my wife said, I'm not going to divorce you because it's not biblical. Hey, listen to me. Don't tell me about irreconcilable differences. This preacher don't want to hear that nonsense. So my wife says, you know, there's a teen challenge there that, that, that 10 months, you go into the program for 10 months, and I'll tell you what, you'll, we'll, we'll work on our marriage. And so I figured the only way, I couldn't kick heroin up there. In fact, I went to the methadone clinic in, in, in Oakland, and my wife was driving me there, and she didn't know I was slamming on dope later on in the day. On top of it, she thought I was getting better when I was getting sicker. Okay? So I jumped on a plane, flew to, Southern, to San Diego. My father picked me up at the airport, and I kicked heroin at his house. And I found out here it was a one-year program. <laughs> I got cheated out of two months. But I told my wife, but, but see, I got saved. I got saved. This wasn't a program anymore. This was a discipleship house, you see. So I remember telling my wife, honey, this is a one-year program. I'm going to do one year. And, and she was applauding that. Yeah, finish the program, all that. And then the 11th month, the, the Lord, and we'd been apart a long time. She, we were seeing each other on Sunday mornings. The Lord put on my heart in prayer one day, you're going to do an internship. Four months. So I called my wife. I said, honey, God's put on my heart to do an internship. And she said, don't you think it's been long enough? Why don't you come home now? And she was right. I was such a derelict husband for so long. And it was now time, you know, we were, God was working in my life. 
we were quoting scriptures. We talked about the Lord together for the first time. And so she, she got on board with the internship. I did it in San Diego where I went through the induction home. And then check this out. We were on a choir outing in Imperial, California, and they called on me to give the testimony. How many know we can't really sing? When they, when they applaud, they're applauding your life. They're, they're, they're applauding that you got right with God. <laughs> now, the women, you guys can sing, but check it out. You guys can't. Yeah, and I love you guys. So watch this, though. That, they called on me to give a testimony, and the pastor said after I gave the testimony, he said, when you get out of Teen Challenge, you got an office here. I started a Bible study in six months. Over 100 drug addicts were coming. That's when New Creations launched, and that's when the church came. Why? Because it's not about a program. You can't see vision if you're seeing this as a program. You'll never catch a hold of what God wants for you. And God's been good to me through the years. We've, our church has grown. This, this email that came in from Israel, we built a sanctuary. I wanted 1,186 seats in it because there's 1,186 chapters in the Bible. It didn't end up with the, after they started putting the seats in, they were a few short. I think 1,147 is what they finally got in there. But uh, that, that email that came from Israel of Isaiah 43, verses 18 and 19, I'm going to do a new thing. We've launched three other churches since rebuilding that sanctuary. We've launched one in Brawley, one in Calexico, and a Spanish church. Because that's what God does, man. You're telling me that, that man, and this is why. The last thing, it's not just, you know, distraction. It's not just the devil, but it's doubt. And that's why he adds that there. He says, you know, behold, I'm doing a new thing. Now it springs forth. Do you not perceive it? I will make a way in the wilderness and rivers in the desert. God is able year and a half ago, I got a call from the El Centro Police Department. They asked if I would be a chaplain for them. I used to run from that uniform and badge. So they said, look, you're, you, we, we'd love for this. You know, you'd be a chaplain. You go down to this store. They're going to fit you and get you a uniform. And I said, do I get a badge? And they said, yeah, you get a badge too. And um, I said, do I get a nine millimeter to carry on? No, no, you don't get a nine millimeter. But, but God opened up that door, and when they, they installed me as a chaplain, they said, say a few words to them. And I said, I just want you all to know it, it's a blessing to serve you, police officers. I used to run from you. But now God's changed my life, and now I serve you. The, the college called me, you know, a little while ago. The college called me, you know, two, three, four semesters ago. They said, look, we lost our world religion. This is a secular college. They said, we lost our world religions, teacher, uh, and your name's been floating around here. Would you consider teaching world religions? 
And I thought, man, I got a lot of ministry. I have to think about this. I have to pray about it. So I left it at that. And my wife said, man, college kids hearing about Jesus? And staff said, hey, we'll pick up any slack there is. So I, I, took, I called them back, said, you know, I'm going to take your offer. I will teach the class. Watch this. I never went to college. No, no, listen to me. I mean, we're drug addicts. Check it out. Hey, so, hey, so watch this. No, no, watch this. Mike, Mike said that I graduated summa cum laude from Bethel Seminary. They're a world-class seminary. And they came to me and they said, how come you're not a student here? Because I audited a class. I said, well, for one thing, you need a four-year degree to get into your, your seminary. And then two weeks after that, the dean of students calls me in and says, hey, man, we'd like you to be a student here. I said, I don't think I belong here. I've never done a research paper, never footnoted, none of that. I had to buy a book just to figure out how to footnote. And he says, we believe you belong here. We're going to put you on academic probation because we, we, we don't know if you can handle the workload. And when I graduated, I graduated summa cum laude. Top of the class. But, but in the graduation ceremony, it's got everybody's undergraduate, where they did their college, their four-year degree, mine's blank. So, so I, go to, I go to the college, and I fill out the paperwork, because they told me to fill out the paperwork. And the lady's shuffling through the paperwork, and she's going, um, where did you go to college? And I said, well, funny story. <laughs> and uh, I told her what happened. I didn't do college. I don't have a bachelor's, but I got a master's. And she loved the story of my life so much, she said, you know what? All they asked for a master's degree, so she stamped it. Now I'm teaching out at the college, telling them about Jesus. I, I, seriously, I get to tell them why Buddha is not the Savior. I get to tell them why Muhammad is not the Savior. And, you know, it's not like I was looking for a job or needed it, but I'm going to take the platform that God's given me. You cannot limit God. He will make a way in the wilderness. When they heard that, they thought of God leading them through the wilderness with a pillar of cloud and a pillar of fire at night, a pillar of cloud in the day. They saw God guiding them in the wilderness. The wilderness, I've been there many times in Israel. There is no water in some places, but he'll draw it from the rock. Some of you need prayer tonight. Some of you need prayer because you're missing the vision God has for your life. Whether it's distractions, the devil, doubt, whatever it may be, you need prayer for that. Some of you need prayer because you're still unpacking suitcases. A man bag's easy to get rid of. I don't know why they call them man bags. They're really purses, girls. They're, they're purses. But some of you listen to me. You guys, you, you need prayer because God wants to use you. I want to pray tonight that God gives you vision. I want to pray that nothing would distract you from letting that thing crystallize in your heart and that you wouldn't have doubt, but know that God is able to do all things. 
The scriptures say he is able to do abundantly more than we can ask or think according to the power that works within you. Do you realize that Romans 8 says that the same power that resurrected Jesus resides in you? Man, look what you got access to. Maybe you'll be a chaplain or a college teacher or something one day. God blows us away. Thank you for listening to this week's episode. If you haven't already, subscribe today on your mobile device to get exclusive new content from Teen Challenge of Southern California. For more information, visit us on the web at teenchallenge.org.